Hi, everybody. I'm Jacob Ben Shmuel. I'm Alan Blake Bachelor. And I'm Daniel Clintworth. And welcome to the first episode of Anatomy of a Song. Uh, we're really happy to have you all with us in this brand new series that we are starting for One Million Musicals, uh, we are basically going to give you an insider's look at how we created one of the songs from uh, one of our musicals. This, uh, on this first episode, we are going to sort of delve into the creation, orchestration, and completion of the song Roland the Wrongdoer from episode two of One Million Musicals, The Lawman with No Gun. Uh, spoiler warning up front, if you have not yet listened to The Lawman with No Gun, you should definitely go listen to that. What are you doing with your life if you haven't heard it? (laughs) It's true. Uh, What are you doing with your life? And two, please go listen to that first, because we're just going to (laughs) like, I I would argue this is maybe the most important moment in the show. I mean, I would argue this is the most important moment in the audience's life. When they Correct. hear it, um, and we don't so. want to spoil that very important moment for you, so go yeah. ahead and listen to that, you and then you can come it. back here. And you have been warned; you can't blame us later if you choose not to do what we have told you to do. Precisely. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Well, I'm excited to get into this. Uh, I kind of want to start with an explanation of what each of us bring to the songwriting process. I feel like that's important to know before we just start gabbing. So um, Alan and I write the songs um, and uh, we we write the stories. Specifically the lyrics and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I have more conceptual, I would say, input when it comes to, like, what we're going for <laughs> with these songs, but I don't do any of the uh, specific melodic work. Uh, so, yeah, that's Jacob's side, and, and we both yeah. do the, the lyrics and the whole book in general for the musicals. Right. And then we hand it off to Dan. Exactly. So Alan and I craft the story that this song will be situated in. We talk about what the song is uh, trying to get across. We write the lyrics of that song, and then Dan sort of takes the lyrics that we've written and the melody and chord structure that I put on top of those and turns it into magic. Um, (laughs) Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Dan? (laughs) It's nice of you to call it magic. I just call it an average day's work. Uh, But I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, essentially my job is to put the icing on the cake if you will you know you can Mm. you know there i would argue that if the song isn't good the orchestration can only do so much thankfully jacob and alan write wonderful songs so it makes my job a hell of a lot easier uh but uh are we allowed to say that on here uh yeah we can yeah sure okay great (laughs) let let me do that again it makes my job a heck of a lot easier when the songs are uh when the songs are good to begin with but yeah my job is essentially to to take what jacob and alan write and adapt it to uh sound like what we want the the music to sound like for the show and and even more specifically to craft it for whoever is actually going to be singing the song Mm. so that it fits well in their voice uh as well because when i uh (laughs) when i write songs i tend to write things in a key that i am comfortable singing in which in you know in general 
is too high for most men to sing comfortably. <laughs> and, 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 and a little on the low side for women and way too high if I try to take it up the octave for the women. So, <laughs> right. so, um, so that's one of the great things about Dan. I, I say this as often as I can, and I'm going to say it again here. Um, I truly feel like I couldn't do anything in the world of music and musical theater without Dan. Because, uh, Dan, you're like... Your your orchestration abilities and arrangement skills are really, like, otherworldly. I don't actually understand how you do it. <laughs> and also the speed at which you craft these orchestrations is mind-boggling. And I actually think that's the biggest thing that allows this project to exist, is that, you know, we can create a new musical every month because you are proficient, uh, beyond proficient, at taking song concepts and constructing an orchestration and an arrangement around them that that brings them to a professional level of quality uh and so that that i think is the reason that we can do this project well thank you and 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 believe me when i say you don't want me to ever write lyrics so i couldn't do what i do without y'all um <laughs> It's been proven. It's a bad idea. So it is um, known. It is not. It is very known. So let's let's get into the specifics of this song. So sure. uh, this this is Roland the Wrongdoer. It's like a four and a half minute song. It's a pivotal um, moment in the Lawman with No Gun. Absolutely, it is. So to set the scene a little bit, you've got uh, the main character, Sheriff Singer who uh, this whole show has sort of preached a nonviolent approach to lawkeeping. And uh, he, he preaches like you can use understanding and song to, uh, to help people like get back on the right path rather than just like fighting, shooting people and like putting yeah, them in he's, jail. He's playing, he's playing the long con with, with, stopping, with stopping crime. He's trying to change the criminals from within. Lay down your gun, you don't have to run. You can find a life worth fighting for. Alan and I were really excited about this concept, um, partially because, like, it feels somewhat relevant right now. You know, like, compassionate policing, mm. I think, is a cause that we both care about. And mm-hmm. to... to take a genre like the Western, which is always so violent, yeah. <laughs> and to find a way to make a non-violent, a story out of it that preaches non-violence was really exciting for us, I think. Well, yeah, we wanted to look at the Western genre and make something within it, but as we were doing so, you know, it everything is about people getting just blasted away, which is like great fun in those movies and in those uh, various properties uh, within the genre. But these days we, we felt like we can't just unironically like put that in (laughs) and not have some kind of like, you know, twist on it that makes it a little bit more um, modern. And of course we aren't, saying that you could stop every single problem uh, (laughs) in this kind of uh, accepting and empathetic uh, manner. But but we really did like the idea of a lot of people, uh, like, 
who you could just be like, oh yeah, they're the bandits in in the western. It's like, well, hold on, why why are they stealing stuff though? Like, right, right. You know, not yeah. all bandits are deserve to be blown away. Can, can I also <laughs> exactly. just say that I like that one of the devices. This is totally off topic, but I like that one of the devices is instead of having people shoot people, they shoot farm crops and the the cash, which made me cackle. Like just the idea, yeah. the idea of just shooting money is, I don't know, really funny to me, but also like well, a, a great way of avoiding like what would be a typical Western, which is they just would have started blasting the people standing around. <laughs> so so to get back to this this song in particular and, and its place in the show, we, we have heard Sheriff Singer preaching this uh, this attitude of nonviolence, this attitude of song and understanding. Um, he's got a whole song about it, which is the the. <laughs> title song of the show I don't carry a gun I don't carry a stick but I got a secret weapon that'll do the trick though it might sound crazy to some I'm a low man with no gun and so basically he tries it once when he de- when he describes his philosophy to the scab sisters uh, who are the bandits in this case, they don't listen. They shoot up the strawberries and they say, everybody's got to be gone tomorrow or we're going to come back and shoot up your town, essentially. So he goes to their campsite at night. He doesn't have a gun on him. He's completely unarmed. And he basically sits down and tells them, he does have can a I guitar. tell... He does have a guitar, exactly. <laughs> but he it's sits extreme. down and tells them, let me try and talk to you and try and change your mind. And if I can't change your mind, you can feel free to shoot me. And basically the Scab Sisters say, okay, fine. And the story that he tells them is about this very famous bandit named Roland the Wrongdoer. Uh, and he essentially, the, the goal for us was, let's tell an analog- you know, let's, stir- let's tell a story that's analogous to these Scab Sisters and the situation that they're about to go through where they hear, you know, somebody empathizes with them and it changes their ways. He's going to tell them a story about the time that happened to someone else. That was, like, kind of where we were at. And, Alan, I think it was it was definitely your idea. Like, you figured out as we started writing the song, oh, the person he's talking about is himself. Yeah. And I think that was, like, the biggest genius moment. And th- that, like, that made the whole show, in, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I think that the best way, because like when we were talking about all these themes, that was the moment where it all came together because, uh, Jacob wanted it to be the case that, you know, the scab sisters themselves could change and become like his, his deputies by the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And what better way to motivate that than to have him, uh, he's not just talking from a patronizing place of like, this is how you should be because these are the rules. He's telling them, I used to be like you, and I know that the way you treat other people comes from a place of hardship and loneliness and misery, and mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't have to be this way. And you can find uh, a place, in this case, Dry Mouth Flats, where... Um, people will accept you and that you can work with people instead of against them um, yeah. to get what you need. And, like, as soon as you said that, Alan, I remember being like, oh, 
the two of us were like, oh, we just, we figured the whole show out. We figured it out. Like, we, <laughs> yeah, we figured out the show. Moments. And <laughs> I remember it because, like, you and I started writing lyrics, and I think it, it was, like, pretty late. And at some point you were like, all right, I'm brain dead. I'm going to bed. And I was like, okay. And I stayed up for, like, another hour, and I just, like, finished the first draft, essentially, of the lyrics that you and I came back and, like, finalized. But I was like, there was, I was so excited about it I couldn't sleep. So I just like I, and that that happens to me sometimes. Where if, if I get an idea that I think is really strong, that like really excites me, I can't go to bed until I get it out all on paper or yep. on Google Doc, as is the case for us. So that's that's what I did. Like I just stayed up and like like had the song finished. This dusty land, the legends of that brutal man spread far and wide from town to town till he was feared by all. Even coyotes knew his name and sang it out across the plains. And if you listen real close, you still can hear their call. And I'd like to also point out the fact that this was uh, a great opportunity that we saw to utilize uh western music as a storytelling format because his uh country and western songs are so well known for being songs that tell um you know sometimes complicated and deep stories with their lyrics um yep. and in particular uh correct me if i'm if i'm wrong jacob but in particular we were listening a lot to a song uh, called uh, Ringo. Ringo by Lorne Green. If you yes. listen to that song, you you will see it is very clearly the inspiration for Rolling the Wrongdoer. Like I I take I make no bones about that. It's very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so we had we had used you know I I love the Western genre of music. So this this is getting a little bit more into like the melodic and chord structures of the songs. Um, I really love this style and. This this song in particular, Ringo, and there there are others like it that I can't name at the moment, but it uses spoken word to tell the story, um, and there's something really. A boy like, named Sue by Johnny Cash would be another right. uh, example. And there's like there's something so <laughs> there's I I don't know there's something so like grandiose about like a semi baritone voice just like telling a story over the sound of a western guitar like strumming in the background <laughs> that's the sound of coming doom it meant he'd be there awful soon so folks would hide their banks in fear lest he shoot him dead but one small town one fateful night would feel the horrifying fright we were really lucky to get kevin clay to play this role cuz he's such a good actor so he really did an and excellent job of telling, and an excellent singer, and did a great job of telling the story. The other thing that I was thinking about that like really excited me, is, as as I was writing the song and I had the idea for the choruses where he actually does sing, like making it so that the only point in the song that he's singing is the point in the story when the other sheriff singing to him like changed his life. I think there's something really powerful about that there's some there's like marking that separation uh so that he's only speaking lyrics except in the moments when when in the story someone should be singing i think that that's another thing that this genre gave us the ability to capitalize on i know you just by looking i know you're just like me I know you've been through a rough few years of lonesome misery. 
to talk briefly about like chord structure, it's so simple with songs like this, but it's allowed to be simple. You know, it's mostly repetitive. There's a couple of key changes that Dan added in. Like I didn't even have them in the original. Dan loves his key changes. He does indeed. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, I mean, the chord structure is so simple, but I think that it's effective. Like, simple chords can be really effective under the right circumstances and with the right instruments. And, um, that I think is what we did pretty well here. And I think it's easier to use simple chords effectively when the person is talking over the top of the song, you know? So that the chord structure only matters so far as it's like, continually moving so it makes you feel like you're like on a horse riding through the story you know yeah I mean? exactly and i think the the use of acoustic guitar uh gives it more of a percussive feeling than other types of stringed exactly. uh instruments that gives you that kind of galloping um sense right. one thing that i want to mention before we get deeper into like the orchestration side of it with Dan, the orchestration and arrangement is, so in the song that we were referencing, Ringo, you know, at the end of each like line of verse, the the chorus, there's just like a chorus of men singing Ringo, which we like took for Roland, you know? Roland. But I really wanted that to be like an actual character singing it. So, which is why we wrote like in the first verse, he talks about how coyotes used to <laughs> sing his name throughout the plains. He says, if you listen real close, you can still hear their call. And then you hear Roland. And there's a line that Kevin didn't actually end up recording, but I, I, w I wish was in it. If we make like a final master of the song, I wanted to be there. After the first time you hear Roland, I really wanted him to go, yep. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got to happen sometime. And if you and if you were to go to the script, you can see that they uh, are labeled as coyotes whenever yes. whenever those yes. lyrics come up. Well, I mean, you have to imagine the old like 1950s Disney or Warner Brothers cartoon, and you just see the planes, and all of a sudden the coyote, coyotes' heads pop up out of the ground and sing Roland. I, yeah, yeah, I oh, can yeah. definitely <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> Whenever we, we'll, we'll have that whenever we have our like animated, uh, our animated version We're of this episode. Disney. No. <laughs> right, exactly. If you're in, if you work for Disney, please contact us. Dan, do you want to talk a little bit about the demo you got given and sure. uh, what you wanted to do with that? So. I, sort of, again, fortunately for me, the demos I get are, are actually quite good. It's usually Jacob playing guitar or piano and then just singing along, and then he'll give me what we call a lead sheet, which is basically the melody line and the chords written over top of them. 
And, you know, I've I've worked in situations on musicals uh, where I was given a, a not so good demo recording and <laughs> and no melody line. And that is always such a treat. Um, so I can. <laughs> so thrilling. So I, uh, you know, I, I consider myself fortunate yet again that that is the case. So what I usually get is a pretty accurate representation stylistically of what the song is going for. So in this case, it was Jacob playing guitar and singing. And um, I think I remember when I got it, I was like, oh, crap, this is four and a half minutes long, which, you know, most of the songs for these musicals have been two minutes, maybe even slightly under two minutes. So it was Mm -hmm. immediately I was like, oh, this is this is not, you know, this is pretty serious. Um, But as I was listening to it, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this makes sense because it is this song, I think is such a huge storytelling device. You know, yeah, it is about it, moving the story forward quite literally. Like, like we've said, it's like, it is really the key moment of the show. I, I like, I, I like all the songs in this episode. I, I really, really love the music in this episode, but I do think that this is the pivotal moment. Like yeah. this is the thing that makes the show work in my humble opinion. Like you think Lawman with No Gun is going to be the signature song because it's the title song, but then, you know, we whip this out later on. Right. I had so I had somebody who listened to the because we released Lawman in front of the the mm-hmm. ap, actual episode, and a friend of mine listened to it and went, um, "Aren't you kind of giving away? You know the the isn't there like a spoiler in that song because of the empathy thing?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "That's not the biggest spoiler in this episode, believe it yeah. or not." So just wait and listen. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I remember when I listened to it. Actually, the first thing I thought of, outside of the fact that it did sort of fit that classic Western style, it actually reminded me. Actually, what I said to Jacob was. Um, if if Hades Town the musical were a western, this would be that. Like it Which reminded is like me the highest praise you could possibly give us. Like, ah, <laughs> uh, man, I was so happy when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that it's just it's such a brilliant way to because it's like you said it's it works so well with spoken word and and because the points at which he sings are so well picked. You know, it it does a beautiful job of telling the story in a way that isn't super conventional in musicals. I mean, you could probably count on maybe maybe two hands, but I think even more like one hand, the number of musicals that really kind of use that kind of a tactic uh, in in their storytelling. A lot of times, things are just through sung. So you know, I I think to approach it that way was is brilliant on several levels. Um, but yeah, so I got the demo from Jacob. I I loved it, and I I I thought, okay, yeah, this is a very specific sound we're going for. And I I already sort of knew we were headed in that direction. When you're doing a western, there really are oh so many ways you can go musically if you're trying to pay homage to what is considered that classic western sound. Um, but the, I thought I was really excited to dive in on this song because it I knew it was going to be a fun challenge to bring to life. <laughs> dusty land the legends of that brutal man spread far and wide from town to town till he was feared by all and something that we should say as well is that we were really lucky to get uh skylar mcfadden 
yes. to help us out with this episode. So he played the live guitar, banjo, and mandolin. I think you you definitely hear guitar and banjo in this song. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly also mandolin. I'm not sure, but like that, having those live instruments was really key to making this western the western sound of the of the song of the music like really authentic um because dan dan you're brilliant you are incredible at crafting like midi instruments and making things sound big and sweeping and epic but there's like there's only so much you can do to fake the sound of an acoustic yeah (laughs) yeah acoustic guitar is acoustic guitar is a nightmare to make sound real if you're right. using if you're using a MIDI instrument. And it's not even like you could have the best guitar sound. It's about the technique. And so mm-hmm. it is possible, but it takes so much time to get right. Yeah. And the mistakes, like the buzzing of the of the strings, like there's so much yeah. in there that's like and it was important for this song in particular because he's sitting down at a campfire and starting yeah. to sing with his guitar. He's like, playing the guitar in the story. Exactly. So it's really got to sound real. Yeah, I think I think that was actually one of the earliest things that you, you and I decided, Jacob, was that it was going to be like super important to try to have live guitar. Well, I remember the conversation went something like you saying, I really want guitar to be an important feature you know, uh, do you think it's something we could do fake or should we try to do it live? And I and I, I remember you started sending me demos and I went, there is no way we're doing this with a MIDI guitar. I, I want to live and I don't have time to make this happen without losing my mind. So uh, yeah, my friend Skylar is brilliant and amazing. And I... And we're so fortunate that he was willing to come on board and do this, but he did a great job. And so it was, it was honestly, it made my life so much easier because I could then sort of base the rest of the orchestration on this sort of brilliant, you know, guitar that, that really brings us into that world. It's tactile. It's grounded. It's like, here's your bass. Here's here's your ground floor. Now you just get to build on top of it. Or like Correct. here's the cake. You get to add the frosting. It's right. like to go to go back to that metaphor from earlier in this episode. Um, <laughs> do, do you want to chat a little bit about harmonies that you gave to the uh, coyotes? Who we we <laughs> sure. can chat about who we got to perform those beautiful harmonies. Um, but also also like the structure of the song, like any changes that you made. Because one thing sure. that we're really open about with each other is like I write you know I I write chords that I know but I am not like a brilliant instrumentalist by any means so I write I write chords that allow me to get the melodies across that I want to get across and then Dan will look at that and go like oh I know about six chords that are better than this one so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some options (laughs) so um any like adjustments you made in this episode from demo to final product yeah you know I'm trying to think back for specifically Roland I feel like you know I didn't adjust too many chords in Roland and I think it goes back to what you said earlier you know this very specific sort of western style doesn't does not want for complicated chords part of the beauty of it is the simplicity and honestly i think that's what makes it so tricky to write uh both as a songwriter but also as somebody who's coming in and doing the orchestration is how do i elevate this in a way that doesn't detract from and or sort of stick out 
in a way that is, you know, incorrect for the style that we're going for. So I don't, I think in this one, I really didn't change all that much chord structure wise. I think I changed one, one, maybe two chords. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what I did do um, was, uh, you know, we had talked about the, the coyote singing Roland. Um, and so I, I think we had discussed the idea of there being some harmonies on it. So what I did was mm -hmm. then my decision was, okay, do I start with harmony? Do I start unison and build from there? And I felt like because the story of the song builds so beautifully, it makes sense for us to start simple and then build. So the first time you hear the coyotes sing Roland, it's all in unison. The second time there's two-part harmony. The third time there's two-part harmony that's sort of throughout. And then there's three-part harmony. And so it, it builds as the song builds and then as has already been mentioned i did throw in a couple of key changes which i uh, adore yes. doing uh to things i you know here's the thing about key changes though i i think they can be a great um they can be a great tool dramatically but i, I one thing that i am always after jacob on is to tell me if he feels like it doesn't work in favor of the story and so you know he and i talked about the idea of there being key changes and then i sort of looked at the structure of the song and said okay i think this this is where it makes sense if we're doing a key change right this is where we do them because this elevates the storytelling of the song but it's yep. because i feel like there are definitely songs in musicals that shall remain nameless. <laughs> that uh, that that throw in key changes just sort of like haphazardly, and it's like, okay, but why did you change the key? What what purpose does it serve? Or like using them to to add dramatic moments where instead there would not be them. Or like a song mm -hmm. is lacking in growth, so we're gonna add a key change, but sing the same lyrics. Right. And for us, <laughs> it's important. It's important that we uh, that the song builds dramatically on its own. But there are moments that, hey, adding a key change just ups the drama, just right, continues exactly. to help us feel that that story is different. Like, it's funny, you know, like going back to Ringo, the song that, that this is very heavily sort of inspired by, that has like, I don't know how many key changes, four at least, like it, it <laughs> constantly changing keys, but nobody ever sings except the background singers. So it's not like you're going to run into a problem of somebody can't hit the notes, you know? Um, right. <laughs> so I, I think I think even what you did, I think you may have gone a half step lower at the start from what I had originally written, added yes. a key change so that when Kevin was singing, it was in the original key that I wrote, and then added another key change so he could sing a little higher at the end, which like right. that is that is a great way dramatically to continue telling the story. Right. And, and that's also sort of expand on that. Yeah, and that's also a perfect example of, you know, the 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 dictation of the starting key had to do with knowing who was actually going to be singing the song. Like I, right. I, as, as Jacob has, I was on the book of Mormon tour with Kevin Clay. So I sort of knew what his vocal range was. And so my goal was, okay, we don't want to go too low, but also because of the nature of the song, I don't want him like screlting high G's and A's <laughs> at the end because dramatically that just makes zero sense in this song. Right. So it was kind of a matter of, uh, and that was really, that was what determined that opening key was mm -hmm. just based on the vocal range of the artist I knew I would be singing it. Um, you know, yeah. So, and then, and then threw in the other key changes cause they just, they kind of made sense there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of, I think we're, we're getting close to the end here, but in terms of like orchestrally, uh, 
what what kind of instruments did you add to this? Just so if people if people are listening for it, like what what kind of stuff can you hear in there? Oh oh that that was added by Dan. <laughs> so essentially, yeah. So as 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 I said earlier, the demo was just guitar and Jacob singing, and and we knew that guitar was going to be sort of the pivotal. Uh, instrument for this Mm -hmm. so I started there and then once I had the guitar you know the whole episode really outside of some underscore until the very end is quite simple because again the nature of a classic western sound is not one that is complicated it's it's you know especially when it comes to songs that are being sung so um I added uh, we had the guitar and then I added sort of the staples of a rhythm section. So you have an, you have an upright bass and you have a drum set. And then mm-hmm. I added, uh, there was also banjo, which also was played by Skylar. I added, uh, an electric, like a very clean electric guitar, which is also a very classic Western. Mm-hmm. Just listen to the, <laughs> just listen to Clint Eastwood. You'll under any Clint Eastwood Western movie. You'll understand what I mean. Um, and, uh, so I added that and then, um, I I think I I'm trying to go back and remember now. I think I added some some very quiet strings in a couple of places, but they really are just background. They're basically just sort of elevating the core sound without right. sort of sticking out in a way that makes you go, "Oh, listen, there's a string section there." Mm-hmm. Um and that was pretty much it. That oh, and a harmonica because you can't have a western yeah, without a harmonica. Get a harmonica in there. It's not possible to do it. Um, but that was yeah. But that was it. I mean, it was really really quite simple. And again, that was the goal. Anything that 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 felt like it would stick out and or make it too complicated would have detracted from what we were trying to do with the storytelling. Um, and I think that's something important to say too about the work of an orchestrator is. Any any great orchestrator is not there to make themselves sound good by what they can do with the music. They are there to elevate the storytelling because at the end of the day, we're telling a story. That's what musicals, specifically theatrical musicals, do. They tell a story. So everything has to be in service of the story that's being told. And if it does anything that takes away from the story being told, it is not doing its job. Well, Dan... In in my opinion, and I'm sure I speak for Alan as well, you are the best in the biz at doing just that. <laughs> yep. So uh, we uh, we're really 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 lucky to have you. Oh, um, thank you. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Anatomy of a Song. We're kind of excited to to bring you more of these and to just delve kind back of into... excited. <laughs> no, we, uh, you're right. Casually, you're right. I, I misspoke. Excited. We are. We are aggressively uh, and emphatically excited to bring you more of these episodes. We are dangerously episodes. excited. We are dangerously excited to bring you into the mind of a musical theater writer and uh, into the, the you know, open up the beast and, and, and take the guts out and explore what makes these songs uh, tick, yeah. which is why we call it Anatomy of a Song. You, did you get it? Did you get that, oh, that time okay. in there? I was wondering where you're going with the guts and that, stuff. I was that like, was good. Ooh, yeah, just guys, going on thank with you. the violent imagery. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, and without further ado, here is, in its entirety, Roland the Wrongdoer. Woo. All across this dusty land, the legends of that brutal man spread far and wide from town to town till he was feared by all. Even coyotes knew his name and sang it out across the plains. And if you listen real close, you can still hear their call. Roll. 
coming doom. It meant he'd be there awful soon, so folks would hide their banks in fear lest he shoot him dead. But one small town, one fateful night, would feel the horrifying fright that comes when that demonic call goes ringing through your head. Rolling. Folks, they boarded up their doors and hid the children beneath the floors. They shook and held each other close, and then they prayed for grace. But one good man would face the test, a golden star upon his chest. Without a weapon on his belt, he stepped on out to face. Roland. <laughs> Roland, with a wicked sneer, told the sheriff, Listen here, I'll only say this once, old man, hand over your banks. And if you don't, I'll shoot you down. And then what happens to your town? I'm showing mercy, Mr. Clown. So why not show some thanks to... The sheriff, with a simple nod, said a silent prayer to God, and then did something rather odd. He took a breath and sang. Roland, he began to laugh, but quickly fell quite silent as the sheriff's words began to speak the truth of Roland's pain. And the sheriff sang. I know you just by looking. I know you're just like me. I know you've been through a rough few years of lonesome misery. But hope is on the horizon. You don't have to hate no tried to shout a vile curse, but found his hate was drained away, replaced by something new. The sheriff then approached the man who'd brought such terror to the land and reached out with an open hand to offer kindness to. And that is why you haven't heard of Roland's deeds the past few years. See, he's been quiet, self-assured, and doing bits of good. He stayed in that small, faithful town, paid his debts, and stuck around. Even got a job protecting others where he could. And two years later, there came a day when that old sheriff passed away. The star upon his chest he gave to Roland before he died. So now I guess you finally see that Roland Singer, well, that's me. And before you shoot me, hear my plea. For I have seen your strife. I know you just by looking. I know you're just like me. I know you've been through a rough few years of lonesome misery. But hope is on the horizon. You don't have to hate no
friends, Jacob again. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was edited by Travis Cook Johnson. If you'd like to support the incredible artists who help make this show possible, then you can head on over to GoFundMe.com, where you can make a one-time donation to our One Million Musicals Artist Fund. This fund is to help us compensate the brilliant actors, musicians, and engineers who give our shows the Broadway quality you've come to expect. The link to that fund is in the description of this episode. And if you really love our show and want to make your donations monthly, then you can head on over to patreon.com slash one million musicals. There, you'll find sneak peeks, bonus behind-the-scenes episodes, official playbills, and much, much more. Thanks again, and watch out for our next Christmas-themed full musical coming December 21st. This one is a beast, and we cannot wait to share it with you. My name is Will Hines, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.